You ever been walking through the Navy Exchange and wonder why all the Naval Pride and Heritage gear is horrifically ugly and you wouldn't actually wear it? Have you ever wanted some really cool gear and you just don't know where to go? Well, I got you, fam. Go to dgutsapparel.com immediately. Get yourself some Naval Pride and Heritage gear you'll actually wear in public. Uh, we're working on new designs all the time, open to ideas. We're trying to create a brand that uh, lets you display that pride, but doesn't make you cringe. Uh, also, if you're willing to and you're able to, please go to patreon.com slash podcast, pick one of the five tiers and become a patron today. What's up, everybody? Let's spin some yarn. Holy shit. I have sp <laughs> I've spent the last two hours trying to get my camera to work. Uh, apparently, an update to my Mac OS just fucked everything up and it's a long boring story i won't uh i won't burden you with the details also i'm something's going on with me i don't even know what it is i am exhausted yesterday was the same thing i slept i mean what's normal for me i guess and i was like exhausted as soon as i woke up and i couldn't like shake it and i feel the same today so I don't know what the hell's going on with me. The reason I look like a zombie and sound tired is because I am, and I don't know why. So I'm just pre-precursing <laughs> the whole podcast with that. Um, hopefully, I can get through this in a meaning like it with like a good content because um, I'm a little sluggish right now. I got um, an Instagram message from a dude, uh, separated veteran, um, but spent, I think, a couple tours is what I got out of it. He gave me dates. I think it was about eight years. Um, let me go back to a long email. So December 2012 to August 2021. So like nine years-ish, eight and a half, something like that. I'm not mathing right now. My brain's not <laughs> on enough for that. But so first he sent me uh, a question, basically... Uh, he asked me, is, he said, is it possible to explain the purpose of the Chiefs mess? And he doesn't mean like the purpose of senior NCOs, like functionally, like why do we have E7 and above? Uh, and he says that he says not the E7 rank, but why there currently is a need for the type of separation and frat type environment. Um, so like the culture of the Chiefs mess, like why are we different than everyone else and why is it it uh, why why does it function the way that it does? Um, and then he sent me some follow-on questions in an email because uh, I guess what he tried to send me on Instagram was too long. So uh, and I'll, I'll address those as well. But first, I'm gonna start with uh, <clears throat> the uh, the concept of like why is the Chiefs mess the way that it is generally? I, I'm not gonna dive into excruciating detail. Um, and a big part of that excruciating detail is a tradition to change. If you're not familiar with the tradition of change, this is to the, the dude that sent me the email and everyone else. Uh, it is a research document done by the Navy History and Heritage Command, specifically uh, Jim Lucci. Shout out to Jim for doing just absolutely incredible work while he was at Navy History and Heritage Command. It was commissioned by Mick Pond Stevens when um, I'm assuming the, the catalyst for it, <coughs> excuse me, was... Uh, when they sundowned the term initiation and did, he made a bunch of changes to CPO 365 and um, I forget, I'd have to go look and see exactly what they were, but I remember him sundowning the term initiation and a bunch of other stuff. They're trying to professionalize it, trying to go more towards uh, like a, like what I advocate for, I would imagine like a formal leadership development curriculum and less of the frat type hazing type 
tomfoolery that uh, junior enlisted are so fond of critiquing. Um, and he got like lit on fire by a lot of uh, chiefs mess representation. A lot of it was like old retirees and stuff, but just, I mean, some of them were active duty too. It was like the, um, the attack was on like you're destroying tradition and, and heritage and all that crap. Uh, so they uh, commissioned this study because what uh, apparently Mick Pond Stevens knew about at least some of this stuff and uh, commissioned a study by the Navy History and Heritage Command to to effectively like <sighs> dispel a lot of the the tribal knowledge and just absolute fantasy that was passed down uh, as fact by uh, generations of chiefs and uh, perpetuated by goatlocker.org as well. Um, and, and yeah, it's not an attack necessarily on Goat Locker. Maybe they didn't know either. I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I imagine a lot of the source documents that Jim Lucci had access to were exclusive to him because he works at Navy History and Heritage Command. But I could be wrong about that, too. Uh, I've asked Jim to be on the podcast, but... Uh, he didn't hit me back, so <laughs> I'll try again later. Um, but yeah, so again, so the whole point of that rambling was go read A Tradition of Change. Uh, it details in excruciating like uh, accuracy. I mean, it's a pretty long document, but it's got pictures. It's got quotes from Mick Ponds and, and Chiefs that went through the season like in the in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Um, about like kind of what it is and and why it evolved the way that it did so i'm gonna i'll probably reference generally some of that history but i'm not going to go into that kind of detail uh you can google uh the document or you can just go to the website if you go to dspodcast.com there's a resources button go there there's a link to a tradition change you can download it um, you can order printed copies that are signed out by uh jim lucci as well if you hit him up on facebook you have to find his his actual account but uh, for I think it's like 20 bucks or 25 bucks or something like that. He'll send you like a signed copy. Like it's like printed and bound like a book. Uh, it's pretty dope. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm not going to dive into the excruciating. I also did a podcast on it. If you go find a tradition of change, uh, it's probably in the, um, uh, CPO Chronicles playlist on SoundCloud. But anyway, you like, if you scroll back far enough, you'll find a tradition of change. So there's a podcast on it as well. If you don't want to read it, um, but yeah, that it, it, that will give you a very uh, thorough understanding of kind of like how the foundation was laid for it to evolve into what it is. Um, with that being said, to, to try to answer the question of why the Chiefs mess is the way that it is. So start with a tradition of change, but also like based on it evolving the way that it did as this uh, frat type organization or whatever there at some point along the way the uh the separation started i would pro i would probably say with uniforms and uh there are some articles that i've gone through um that detail how um like in the super chiefs episode if you go listen to that there's a bunch of discussion about how after um world war ii there was just this glut of chiefs at the top of the enlisted rank because at the time E7 was it until the, the late 50s, early 60s when they established Super Chiefs, right? So there was a, a ton of chiefs with not a ton of things to do, right? There was too many chiefs and not enough Indians. <laughs> if, uh, 
if you've ever heard that saying and hopefully that's not like uh insulting to anybody but that i'm old and not that in touch with things like that so i don't know shut up sorry my dogs are barking it's been on one today just barking at everything um so uh i think part of it was a, a trying to bureaucracy bureaucracies protect bureaucracy right so it's like the prime directive of a bureaucracy is to protect the bureaucracy so what i think and again i'm i'm open to be cor corrected and i'm not an expert on this type of history which is why i have a renewed uh desire to get jim lucci on the podcast but uh my, what i suspect is the like and the the organization responded with the establishment of super chiefs but at the time i think it probably probably began around then where there was all these chiefs who had promoted to that rank who felt you know like as a result of their station that they should be doing things like if you're going to pay me to be a chief give me chief things to do um but there wasn't enough of that going on so what you what i i read i glean from these articles um obviously i wasn't there <laughs> i'd be way older um if uh if there wasn't something to do that these chiefs were starting to get tasked with menial labor or uh things that you know like they're, they're things that weren't their job air quotes but uh you know like they weren't thrilled about that so what i imagine happened was they began to manufacture things to do right like they just started inventing titles and duties and uh, and whatever to try to, to remedy that so that they didn't have to be a worker bee again. Um, and then what you eventually saw was the establishment of super chiefs in the late fifties. So, um, then like as the, as the uniforms evolved as well, when they, when they shifted over to khakis and everything like that, um, there, there are, there are these little things that happen along the way where I think some of the like we're different um and there was like a more of an association with being an officer uh even though they weren't actually officers of course um there was just more of this like trying to professionalize the nco ranks that you see start to happen later uh in like the probably around the 70s i would say uh and then on through i mean even present day there's been efforts to require bachelor's degrees of chiefs which is normally an officer thing um, there's been, you know, pushes for all kinds of other, like I, I talk in the super chiefs episode about, uh, how they had chiefs be filling division officer roles on a destroyer. They piloted a program. I mean, during my career, I think, uh, I wasn't aware of it cause I, I think I was pretty junior at the time, but I want to say it was, I forget which McPon it was, but I, I talk about it in super chiefs as well. Um, but yeah, so I, I think there was a lot of little things built on top of the foundation of a tradition of change where there was just there was a lot of um based on the time and place and and what was acceptable in the ranks of the enlisted force at the time i think that drove a lot of the alcohol driven chicanery that happened um and it, and it really did go in, the, in when you read a tradition of change it really did go from just getting hammered for one night and then okay now you're in the mess to uh pulling really heavily from like the crossing the line ceremonies and and halfway night stuff or whatever just whatever uh into like hazing stuff because then it was like okay now it's we're gonna treat it almost like you're rushing a fraternity um 
because it was just like a it was almost like mob mentality is probably the best way of, of saying it is like they uh they started to treat it like well this is an exclusive group so we're gonna make you earn it you know and, and it it really did it was more human nature than it was any any uh like meaningful like like i i wish there was like a, a super secret squirrel reason that like made sense that i could point at but i i don't think that's what it was at all i think for a very long time um the inmates were running the asylum and by the time th they started to get pressure at the mcpon level from cnos saying hey if you don't get this under control we're going to take your toys away um it was like so embedded in the culture of the mess to do the the you know what they what junior enlisted and a lot of other people call reindeer games um that they they called it tradition right and there's a great uh quote i want to it's one of the mcpons i want to say it's jim hurt but i can't i can't remember where he's talking about uh i, I like a naval academy graduate asked him or a naval academy midshipman asked like what's like what's a, the difference between a tradition and like hazing or something like that uh i wish i could find it really quick let me see if it pops up um it wasn't black it wasn't i don't think it was dull black That'd, i'd be really shocked if it was um yeah this is gonna take a hundred years I, but basically what he said was uh traditions are things that like are a value add and that are meaningful and based on uh like a productive piece of our history not hazing and not like like by definition a tradition can't be negative because if it was negative we would just end up shedding that dead weight right because we don't want that as part of our organizational identity and structure and and such so if it if it's not a positive productive thing it's not a tradition right that quote actually might be in a tradition of change that's probably where i first saw it but uh basically like it was already baked into the cake there's your cook pun for the day um <laughs> that like these things were part of it and it's very hard to like then get rid of those things um so I, I i just think that it evolved in a really uh maladaptive way um just based on human nature just based on like there was no formal structure there wasn't leadership development or education there wasn't emotional intelligence in the way that we understand it now there it was just a whole bunch of dudes and then eventually with the advent of waves during world war ii uh i mean even before that because you had uh well when did uh Maybe I need to look up uh, Loretta Walsh. I thought she was World War One time frame, but again, my brain is barely yeah World War One right when she became the first female chief. She enlisted in 1917, so yeah, it had to be World War One time frame even before that I think. No, after that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so like the the female chiefs that were uh, around were, I, I mean, back then they were waves, I believe. Uh, don't quote me on that, but <laughs> my brain is not all the way on. So uh, anyway, the based on um, just kind of who was there and what, like they they began to just do what they did, right? Um, 
and alcohol was always involved. Um, that's kind of how it started. It was like, go to the Chiefs club, get them good and hammered, and then just pour them onto their front stoop, and the wife will take care of it. That's a, a, a literal story from one of the McPons. Um, and then uh, it evolved. So it evolved in this way where it was it was pulling on a, like a toxic pool of beginning resource like it's history right be the beginnings of it were uh, this toxic pool of resources to pull on and then it evolved in a maladaptive way until it became untenable until the force started to professionalize the nco core and and cno started it started to like uh, uh this ain't gonna work man you need to do something about this um but it's like pulling teeth because some of this stuff is so ingrained in the culture that i think what you see I think what you see present day um, is still an extension of it's extension of that. Like it's still um, a lot of the problems are still like hereditary. But I think a big reason why a lot of chiefs can't explain why the why behind a lot of the stuff that we do say, um, think, reflect our identity or just hat lack thereof. Um, are are based in that like are, are rooted in this like empty shallow pool of toxicity that started at the very beginning and again like this isn't just me inventing history go read a tradition of change uh it'll <laughs> it's eye-opening um and it it for sure explains a lot of the reasons why what, what we have become is what it is but I would argue that equally important is the glaring lack of leadership development and education, which is why I do this podcast and why I advocate so hard for it. Um, you can't expect the people in this organization to know how to lead, having never taught them how to lead. Like it's, it's a, it's a really counterintuitive and, and just like preposterous way of running a leadership, uh, team or organization or whatever right like the whole culture of it is built on being these like oracles of like leadership like to of being like the leadership uh resource for enlisted people and not never once along the way are they provided meaningful leadership development and education that's starting to slowly change with the advent of and like ELD um but by the time they get to the senior enlisted academy I mean they're setting their ways largely um, sure, there's people that are willing to receive when they get there and, and learn some things. Uh, but a lot of times it's like you're so far along at that point, it's not even beneficial to junior sailors. <laughs> like you're going there to be a CMC or you're going there as a senior chief because you want to make master chief or something. Um, and I, I love the senior list academy. If there's any FAs listening, you're doing God's work. Um, I really wanted to do that job. I got I even got the opportunity to. But that ship had sailed on me just staying in the Navy for any reason at that point. But uh but yeah, it's like I they need like the enlisted force needs that that caliber of leadership development and education way, way earlier in their career, like E4, E5, E6 level because um, the, the senior enlisted academy is really great. But I would argue that even the even the curriculum that happens there should be done earlier on like i think first classes and young chiefs should be going through that level of a curriculum and senior chiefs and master chiefs should be doing something even even more advanced um but that's just not how it's laid out right now and uh even the, the inlet ELD participation is atrocious um 
for for many include like most in most cases it's it's e6 and below that is lacking participation which is more telling of like e7 and above's lack of of sending them to the course or allowing them to go to the courses uh in, and not so much their the e6 and below's desire to go to the courses um but yeah i mean i think a equally important reason that the chief's mess is the way that it is uh, is just the dearth of of any development or preparation or qualification for the the leadership positions that they're put in, uh, and I and I won't go super far down this rabbit hole either, just because I talk about it so often on the podcast. Like, I don't I don't place the blame at the feet of the individual chief. Uh, I place it at the feet of the organization because they're these people are being promoted based on erroneous criteria right they're being pr promoted based on their ability to perform in a as a technical expert in like with their hands or brain or you know whatever both uh for whatever their specialty is and based on their aptitude for performing a technical function uh, the, that is necessary for mission accomplishment we're saying oh based on that i think you have the potential to be a great leader which makes zero sense um but also, you know, even that the small amount of leadership things that we incorporate into that selection criteria, like LPO, right, like uh, or something to that effect, even that isn't enough. Um, but then we select them based on what we call potential to lead, which I think is complete bullshit. Um, and then when we do, we don't prepare them for it at all. And you can't point to the chief season and be like, yeah, we do, because no, we don't. The chief season is is so broken. I like I mean, I'd say I don't even have words, but I have thousands of them that you can go listen to on a, a ton of other podcasts. I, it's not that's not even close to sufficient to prepare these people to be chiefs. Um, it it's the only thing that they get the majority of the time. And it's it's wildly inadequate. So then you just have these people that are wearing these uniforms that represent being the pinnacle of enlisted leadership that don't know what to do with their hands because of course they don't again it's not it's not like malevolent it's not they're not trying to suck you know it's not it, they're not like looking at it like how can i make junior sailors life suck today even though that's how it can feel and it's it's hard as a junior enlisted person to look at that and perceive it to be something other than that from from their position when looking at these chiefs and and analyzing their work performance in in the way that they do because i did the same thing i was i was all about just giving my chiefs shit and and talking about how i could do better and all this stuff when i was an e5 um but then i made it and it, you know like i had a lot of the same struggles for the first year uh, then I started to kind of get my foot feet under me. Um, and, but a big reason for that, though, is the place that I happen to be. I say that a lot. Um, it was I was in a in a really high functioning mess with really great people around me to teach me how to be a chief effectively. But also, I, like I, I credit my juniors with a lot with um, putting a mirror up in front of me. And luckily, I think part of that was those great chiefs that were developing me. But part of it was just who I was and how my parents raised me. It was like I was already emotionally intelligent to a degree that I would at least allow feedback. I would at least allow them to show me 
and to tell me what I was doing wrong, but I would also like be looking for it. I was paying attention to how they were responding. Um, and I realized what was working and what wasn't, and I changed as a result. And one of the biggest things I did was I actively involved them in what was going on. I asked them like questions like, hey, how do you want to do this? Is this is it OK if I do this? Like like I would I would be updating the menu for deployment and I would grab the guys that were going to be in the galley doing the thing. And I'd say, hey, is this OK? Like I, this is how I wrote it. Is this too much? And, you know, my night baker would come in and be like, oh, God, if you give me that and I got to make white bread, too, and I got to do it's really com it's a really complicated ask. So can we change this dessert to something else like that level of involvement gives them ownership in the process and they know that I care about how how they feel and, and like how burdened they are and all that kind of stuff like I want their workload to be uh, well balanced and and a sustainable thing when they got to do this seven days a week when we're on deployment for God knows how long and so it's like I would involve them in those processes and have those conversations and I think a lot of that was just based on um, how I grew up and how my parents taught me to interact with people and treat them and whatever. Um, so I think I, I'm definitely an anomaly in that way. Um, but I, I like a lot of people don't get that, but they also don't get the the chief's mess I was in was like chief university, man. It was like it was like what I wish um, like I wish all chiefs got that at the very beginning of of their uh, wearing khakis to work because it was like that was like. I mean, it was probably even better than I, th I perceive it to be, but it felt like that it was the perfect, it was the perfect, like, uh, it was almost like an academy. It was like the perfect thing. It was like being a chief with training wheels. Like I got to, uh, I got to ask them questions and rely on them for input and just know that I, I had like this safety net, right? Uh, if I did something and it was out of line, I there was a, there was always someone there to smack me upside my head and be like, ah, oh, dummy, that's not how we do things. And I don't think a lot of young chiefs get that. And if they do, it's for like you need to go do this fundraiser or sell more coins or some bullshit. It's not it's not that they were their prime directive was taking care of sailors and getting the mission done. And it was it was very uh, educational and instructive instructive in that way. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think a lot of chiefs get that. And then, I mean, I know for certain they don't get anything formal, but I was just lucky that I happened to be in the place that I was in, uh, when I made it. And that kind of, uh, when I, when I saw the difference, like when I transferred to shore duty and I saw the difference, that's when I got, uh, a very strong desire to continue to learn. And in the absence of chiefs that could develop me, because uh, I was immediately like the most senior guy in the room. And if I wasn't the like at the very beginning, I guess I wasn't. But I was the most competent guy in the room, if that if that makes sense. And then I took over as SEL. So then I was the most senior guy in the room. And there just weren't chiefs around that were capable of developing me. It's not like I can't learn anything from them, but like they just weren't as far along or as in development or just progression rank wise or career wise time in or all the all the metrics. I was just the old guy in the room because we were at a remote learning site and my CMC was in another state. So I didn't have uh, Annie was like 12. I mean, we had like <laughs> shout out to Randy. He was like 12. He was a brand new baby CMC that had as much time in the Navy as me. So like I, he had some things to teach me for sure, but like not as much as I would have liked. So I had to find resources on my own to develop myself as a leader. And that's when I got into podcasts and books and just all those other things to try to develop myself. 
until I went back to a boat and, you know, was around a lot of senior people that I could go to as a resource. Um, yeah, I think that has a lot to do with it, too. I think it's I think our origin story is very convoluted. And I think a lot of chiefs aren't even aware of a tradition of change or if they are, they haven't taken the time to digest its contents to to understand why the chief's mess is structured the way that it is in, in certain ways. Um, but also, I just think the, the complete dearth of leadership development education, it's like like I've, I say over and over again, it's like if I if I tried to put you on watch and I never trained or qualified you to do the thing like what are the odds you're going to succeed at that but we're doing the same thing with chiefs we're doing the same thing with first classes that we promote to chief it's like we never prepared them for this and then we're like gobsmacked when they fail and it's just like why like of course they failed of course they did of course the organization is dysfunctional why wouldn't it be you know what i mean like it, it doesn't so you, you your 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 beef is with the Department of the Navy not prioritizing leadership development education, not funding it, not making it the top priority, if not one of the the few, you know, like every one of the priorities that you see come out by like the CNO and now I guess McPond's doing it now because memos and shit. Uh, it should leadership development should be number one on the fucking list. And if anybody wants to debate that, come at me. Like, you're wrong if you think it should be something else. But, like, I'm willing to be like, yeah, I mean, okay, if you want to do, like, a top five list and not assign a rank to it, as long as it's on there, I'm fine with it. Because it's so critical. Like, we won World War II, arguably, because the decentralized command concept that you hear Jocko talking about, like the, the D-Day invasion and the, and the like airdrop of paratroopers and stuff. It was a shit show. It was chaos. Nobody ended up where they were supposed to be. But the reason it worked was because people, everybody understood the mission, right? Including the NCOs, right? And then when it all went to shit, they just figured it out. You know what I mean? Those NCOs and the officers that were there that were like weren't in the right place, cobbled together units, knew their objective and went and did the damn thing, even though they like nothing went as planned. Right. You can't do that if you're not like competent at leadership and competent with what do I do when everything goes to shit? What do I do when like the plan explodes in my face? Right. Um, those people were given the freedom and I would argue uh, to an extent the education to, to go do that thing. Um, and how we don't recognize that that without that capacity, we're going to fail. <laughs> and so we should make it the number one thing. Oh, by the way, the number one driver in my analysis i don't have a like research study to point at though i mean i could point at like some of the mental health uh some of the mental health stuff um but the number one driver of acute mental health issues and i would then argue as a follow-on uh the problem we're having with in, uh retention and recruitment is leadership incompetence and it's been that way for years i remember in my career counselor school in like 20 13 not even no, I was earlier than that it was like 2011 because yeah it was right after I made chief so it was 2011 they they said the number one reason people say they stay in the navy is leadership but the number one reason a, a trip like people that are attriting people that are separating say they're leaving the military is leadership 
sucking. <laughs> I added that part, but that's what that's why they're saying it. Like I'm leaving because the leadership's atrocious. And as a result, my experience in the military was was horrific, right? So so that's kind of the general explanation that I'll give you. Uh, he had some follow-on questions that I want to make sure I address as well. Uh, he talks about, um, and these are, I guess these are based on some of the episodes he's listened to, but he says, I've always heard that part of the reason for the chief season is to help with networking. And he, he quoted that like air quotes. Uh, I mean, I guess it's not air quotes because he literally typed it. But uh, is, is it not the expectation that you can work professionally with other chiefs? If I were to go tell my chief that I couldn't get a job done because I didn't like some LS2, that would be an unacceptable excuse. Um, that's not what they mean when they say networking. Uh, I, I understand why you, you would kind of have that question having not been a part of it. When they mean what they mean by the network and that's more what it is it's not just it's not networking for the sake of networking what it is is like i have a network by by default like i have a vast vast network instantly and what what it means is basically when you get a membership card to the chief's mess you can then draw on the resources of the mess no matter what like i don't need you to know these people and and the, so the 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 point you make about not liking some ls2 is is kind of not applicable uh it's not it's not irrelevant because like people not getting along is a reason that they're not going to work together and that's present in the chief's mess too but what it means is that even if let's say i didn't like somebody but they came and asked me for help I'm going to feel a compulsion, like a responsibility to help them regardless because they're a chief. And that that to go take it further, that then applies to complete strangers because they're not complete strangers. They're chiefs. So if if I walked into a mess on a ship in a, in a foreign port and I just needed some help locally and I didn't know where to go or where the resources were, I could just walk across the pier knock on like not knock on the door. I would just walk in. But you know what I mean? Like go into the mess and say, hey. I'm the I'm on the ship that just pulled in. We're not home ported here. I, I'm having trouble finding a resource for this thing. Can you help me out? They're gonna fall all over themselves to help me out, even though they don't even know me, because they do kind of know me because I'm an accepted chief. If the, like, it, and that's all that re, that's what that they're really saying. Or I could pick up the phone and say, Hey, this is Master Chief, whoever. Uh, I have the sailor that has this problem. Blah blah blah. Like I've told a story about one of my dudes. Uh, his he went to Mast a few times and they screwed up the administration for it. And so he wasn't like how you would auto promote back up to like E3 and stuff. So he had gotten mapped to E4, but we realized his paydates were all jacked up for the other ones. So like we had to get involved with Millington and get them to fix his, uh, I think it was Millington or Bupers, whatever. I don't know where they are. Maybe they're in Florida or something, but, um, it was somebody at PERS and uh, I, I ended up on the phone with a, a, a YN chief and it was like there was like the way you're supposed to do it, but he could just fix it as, as, at his computer, too. And when I got on the phone with him, we talked for a few minutes. He's like, man, I'm just going to fix this right now. Like, if you're cool with it, I'm cool with it. Because I like it was like something I had to do some paperwork for or something. And then he would have had to get it, got it approved by somebody or something in Millington or wherever the hell Beepers is. And he was just like, bro, I can just fix this right now. And like, I was like, dude, if I'm like, I, that would be incredible if you could. And he's like, yeah, done. He And he's just like, don't worry about it, man. I'll, I'll take care of it. I didn't ask him to do that. I was just trying to figure out how to help my guy get he, he was owed back pay and then it would have made him eligible for second earlier or something. But like because it changed his time and rate date for the map D4, I think, or something. I don't remember. 
Nah, that wouldn't make sense because of when he got mapped. But you get my point. It, he was owed money. He was owed back pay. Um, and so, yeah, so we fi- we ended up getting it fixed. And it and it got fixed in the manner that it did because that chief wanted to help out a, a senior chief he was on the phone with. I didn't ask him to do anything crazy. And I hope it wasn't like wildly uh, outside the lines or anything. But he just took care of my guy because his chief was on the phone with him. And so that's all that is when they're talking about the networking thing. It's It's more that than it is uh, like an actual networking thing where like the going of going around and like meeting all these chiefs and getting to know them so that I can have a big, big network. It's like sort of, but not really. It's more like a, I have a network instantly because I'm a chief. Um, and that's really what they're talking about. Um, but yeah, it's not like a if you don't go out and network, you're not going to be as effective. Like it can certainly help if they like you. You know what I mean? Like it can certainly help if you have a pre-existing relationship with that person. Um, and by doing that, it'll like make it easier to get things done for sure. But um, that's just I, I, I don't that's not really what they're talking about when they're talking about networking. Um, I was in the chief's mess for an emergency. This is the second question. I was in the chief's mess for an emergency repair on final night and saw a chief get not accepted. The chief was part of my division and a great leader. They made her absolutely sob in front of the entire mess and explain why she should be accepted, only not to be in the end. Uh, what exactly does this accomplish? <sighs> I'm going to have to be really generous with this because <laughs> it doesn't accomplish anything if it's if it was what you, you're saying it, it was. Um, for, for context, though, a lot of times what happens is the chief select will go in multiple times and get told they're not ready get out come back later when you actually know what the hell you're doing here and stuff like that um so you might have just saw one of the like her getting recycled like just getting sent away because she wasn't saying what they wanted her to do because the switch hadn't flipped yet uh and then she subsequently came back and was accepted if you have knowledge that she was actually not accepted after final night was completely over that's a whole different thing, which I've talked about a lot lately, like during this year's chief season. So some of the more recent episodes, uh, it's it doesn't accomplish anything. It's complete bullshit. It's a it's a misunderstanding at the fundamental level of what the chief season is and what we're trying to accomplish. And it's also a, a, a fundamental misunderstanding of what acceptance is. It's a symbolic moment of self-actualization, period. It's not literal. That process happened at the selection board where dudes like me sat there, evaluated her record and decided she was ready to be a chief petty officer based on that analysis. So the screening process ends when the selection list is certified by the chief and naval personnel. That's it. It's over. So the, the chief season is not a filter. It's a training evolution. It's it's sole purpose is to prepare you to be a chief on pinning like by pinning day. Right. And if they arrive at acceptance without the pro the proper preparation and that mess decides they shouldn't be accepted all that mess is doing is saying we failed you we suck and uh we're gonna blame you instead of ourselves because we're incompetent leaders that's all that's happening there it, it is not a filter it is not a selection process and if they take it literally they're fucking doing it wrong right and I, i'm gonna i'm gonna leave that there because i've talked about that so much lately that i don't want to i don't want to continue to beat that dead horse uh for listeners that have heard all the other episodes of me talking about that um so there, there the answer to your question is that it doesn't accomplish anything except for uh disillusioning that chief 
and alienating her from the mess, making the mess weaker as a result, uh, demonstrating their incompetence as leaders and so on. Uh, the last question that he, he posed was, I think a lot of the stresses that chiefs carry are manufactured and created by the chiefs mess itself. Big brain to create a higher sense of need for them. That is an opinion of mine and could very well be due to ignorance. You're not far off. <laughs> so like, do does the chiefs mess shoot themselves in the foot quite a bit? Absolutely. However, however, a lot of what you see the chiefs mess do is driven by the wardroom, right? We work for somebody, right? And so it's not... It's not like, like, I think a lot of junior people perceive the chief's mess as being this autonomous organization that just like decides what they're going to do on their own and kind of like, uh, implements things at their own discretion or uh, does things on a whim or whatever. It's not true. Like there are things that for sure the CO or whatever officer's responsible is like it gives us the discretion and, and lets us decide how to do how to do the damn thing. But there's also a, a lot of things, a lot of things that are, are driven by decisions the wardroom makes after we all have a meeting. So we get input for sure. We get to voice our concerns, uh, articulate how we think the thing should be done, uh, you know, like advocate for the enlisted side of things, hopefully, like the junior enlisted and the effects it's going to have on them. But at the end of the day, a lot of those decisions get made by officers because we're not in the business of making strategic decisions. That's why officers exist. So when your CO makes a decision and then you hear the old like, oh, yeah, well, we might disagree, but we got to be unified when we go out and implement this on the deck plate. To an extent, that's that's true. Like the the CO is the one that is 51% of the vote. They get the final say on everything if they want it. So if the commander says, we're going to do this thing, shut up and call her, we then have to go do it, right? Um, and we're not going to kneecap ourselves and go out and say, well, this dumbass CO said we have to go do this dumbass thing. So here, let's go do it and act like dumbasses. That's not that's not what's happening. Uh, we, we will come out, hopefully, like ideally, with a unified front and do it in the best way that we can while mitigating as many of the, the negative effects it's going to have on the quality of life of uh, of junior sailors. Um, and that's the best you can do sometimes because the commander's a commander. Like, they're wearing the command of C-pin, not us. Um, however, there is a, <laughs> a kernel of truth in that the chief's mess uh, does manufacture some of its own... Uh, some of its own issues and as a result uh, and i don't know if it's to create a higher sense of need for themselves but there's definitely a lot of things that the chiefs has a lot of control over that if i i want to say it's more it's not a conscious sense of i'm gonna make my own life hurt you know what i mean it's more of like an ignorance and that's why i call it leadership incompetence is a lot of the things they're doing that are making their own lives more difficult, they're not aware that they're doing that to themselves, if that makes sense. Like, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like a, a brand new baby leader, right? Which you could argue some of those chiefs are, chiefs are uh, based on their inexperience and just lack of understanding of, of what they're doing and, and 
how they're doing it and how what they're doing is affecting their juniors, they get very confused and frustrated by the response of their junior sailors or lack of response. Like, I want them to do this thing and they're not responding to my leadership. And I've I've had a lot of conversations with a lot, a lot of young chiefs where they're just ready to put their head through the wall because their sailors are not doing what he, they want. The They're sometimes actively like... Um, actively working against that chief or tell like telling him no or you're wrong or whatever um and the chief just wants to do what's best for them but they don't know how to make that happen they don't have the tools to do that and they don't understand the response they're getting from their juniors i think it's more incompetence it's more ignorance than it is uh self-sabotage like knowing self-sabotage um and, and again on the junior sailor side of things, it's going to present as knowing self-sabotage because there's this perception that they should know better. And they should, but they don't, largely, because they're never educated, prepared, or qualified to do the thing that they're charged with doing. Um, it's, it, it's very confusing and confounding, and I understand why junior sailors have the takes that they do uh, about chiefs being useless and toxic and um and kind of like idiots sometimes because <laughs> i had the same analysis when i was an e5 e4 um it it's confusing because one we should know better but two we present ideologically that we do know better results not excuses deck plate leadership all the bullshit you see on the bumper stickers and t-shirts We've created the like we're, we've created this problem for ourselves, and I would say largely are unwilling to uh, acknowledge its existence, or if we do, we don't know what to do about it. Um, and and again, that's why I do what I do. Uh, that's why I I've tried to create this resource where I try to point out that um, the organizational hypocrisy. Right. A Navy level chief's mess organizational level, McPond level, maybe. Um, but also try to provide a resource for the individual chief to if they're willing to admit they have that problem to then start remedying it on their own, because so far the Navy has demonstrated it's not willing to put the resources behind developing a solution to this problem. I don't even think at the higher organizational level they are even cognizant of having that. Like they're not even conscious that they have that problem. They're not willing to admit it if they are conscious of having that problem. And they're damn sure not willing to provide the resources required to fix it. Um, so here we are. <laughs> uh, I hope... I hope that was useful and answered those questions um, to the listener that sent me the email. He also provided a, a, like a, a large amount of uh, explanation and context of their service. So I might do a second spin the yarn on kind of talking about that specifically. Um, I'm not sure yet. Well, I'll talk to them and see if that's something they're interested in, but uh, kind of like just go through their specific situation and talk about some of that stuff and pull the leadership lessons learned from it. But yeah, uh, I this was an interesting one. Trying to explain why the Chiefs Mess exists, but not like the why there are senior NCOs and that's it. It's like, why is it the way that it is? Um, start with a tradition of change and then 
I like I think that will provide a large amount of of context and understanding as to how it evolved the way that it is. But also just when you look at some of the things like that, um, it, it's human nature, not just in how it evolved, but it being what it is now. The ignorance that I I believe exists uh, amongst the chief's mess as far as understanding the ways in which the chief's mess are structured, causing harm to their credibility, uh, to the trust junior sailors sh need to have in order for them to be effective. Uh, like having an understanding that those things are happening. I, I don't think the 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 competence exists largely like across the mess for them to even understand that a lot of the things are negative that that uh junior sailors perception on the outside looking in it's a lot easier to recognize a lot of the toxicity because you're you're experiencing the the mal uh, or the the negative effects of that toxicity so it's real easy to point them out but once you're in it and you've never had any other leadership development other than your indoctrination in the chief's mess, you believe that it has to be correct because what else would be until you're presented with an education that shows you the answer to that question. Um, and I know it seems ridiculous and counterintuitive. And I think also, which I talk about a lot on the podcast too, I think there, there are a lot of individual chiefs nowadays that are recognizing the hypocrisy and recognizing the incompetence and recognizing how ineffective the methods that are being uh, taught by the chief's mess are. Uh, and so they're seeking something else and they're finding it with me or they're finding it with Jocko or they're finding it with John Maxwell books or other podcasts or whatever. Um, I hope they start to find it more within like ELD as well, uh, especially at the junior level, but we are where we are. Um, but yeah, I think that you're starting to see an awakening and I mean, I could show you the metrics just alone for this podcast are are growing exponentially. And I, I think that's a great indicator of that. The awakening that's happening amongst some of the newer chiefs and just saying, hey, no, this isn't the right way to do this. And they're just I think some of the older generations that are still like still holding on to power are not aware of those things in the way that they need to be. Um, particularly again, and this isn't just a chief's mess problem. It's an officer problem because the person that's going to sign out policy and the person that's going to control the purse strings is going to be wearing stars to work only not an anchor with stars, like just stars. So, uh, it can't be just a McPond problem, even though they're our representative. It's like the McPond doesn't sign out policy. CNO does. So it's something that the officers need to push, uh, it, it's going to be a parent like the parent program is going to be the Naval War College, which is run by officers. So, yeah, I, I think uh, it's a much bigger problem than people realize. But also, I think you're starting to see a bit of an awakening. And I think that um, as you start to see people just just with the availability of information and how accessible things like this podcast are i just think it's a matter of time before a lot of the incompetence gets bred out of the system but it would sure as shit be assisted by a robust leadership development education program that's at least like sponsored by the navy like co-signed or endorsed or whatever and you could do a lot of that by just 
compiling resources like mine, like Jocko and like a bunch Simon Sinek and all these other smart people like Simon Sinek's done a bunch of stuff with the military and he's got a he's got a pretty good grasp on like the leadership problems like and I'm not like an enormous fan of his, but uh, he's a smart dude and he's got a lot of intelligent things to say and he's got a lot of insight into military culture because he spent a bunch of time working with like SEAL teams and some other military units. But um, but he was talking. I saw a clip today where he was talking about how um, Navy SEALs were separating. Right. And they the institutional response was huge six figure uh, bonuses to stay in. And he said that, that he saw one of two responses when talking to the SEALs about it. it was one. It was like, fuck you. That's not why I was doing it in the first place. And then they get out anyway or fuck you. That's not why I was doing it in the first place. And then they are like, but I'll stay around for a few more years for two hundred thousand dollars and then separate anyway. Right. And it's so it's not like that's not the problem. They joined the military to do that thing, to be a part of something bigger than themselves and to defend their country and for that sense of purpose and camaraderie and all the things that a lot of people join the military for. And you can't you can't really find it elsewhere. Like there's there's certainly things in life that are are similar or you could argue are equivalent, but there's not a lot of places where you can do this specifically. And uh, most people aren't doing it for the money because it doesn't pay that well. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, you know, I hope this answers some questions. Uh, I thought it would be fun when I got the question. I was like, huh, interesting. And I wish I wish my brain was at 100 percent today because maybe I would have did a better job. But, you know, like I hope it was I hope I answered the question at least. Um, but I thought I thought it would be a fun one. And I hope you all got something out of it. Uh, if you need anything from us, hit us up. Don't give up the podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us. Don't give up the ship podcast. You can DM us on Instagram, Reddit or Discord at DGUS podcast. If you want to support us, you can go to DGUSpodcast.com. There's a donate button in the upper right hand corner of the website. Or you can go to Don't Give Up the Ship Apparel. It's DGUSapparel.com. Get yourself some Naval Pride and Heritage gear. You'll actually wear in public. We got stickers and shirts and hoodies and all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, and the podcast swags there as well. We got coins, uh, the podcast coin and the podcast t-shirts and stuff, stickers, whatever. And then uh, probably the best way, patreon.com slash podcast. Pick one of the five tiers, become a member today. Supports us in everything, paying the bills and expanding the platform. And we really, really appreciate it. And that's it. That's what we got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship. <laughs>